Today we're going to continue in our series on fear, and we're going to be talking about the fear of life's final moments, the fear of death. And I'd like to pray for us as we begin. Father, as we come to talk about this subject today that is ever-present in our world, we ask that you would speak to our hearts from your word. It is in you that we have put our hope. It is in your word that we find comfort and assurance. And so, Father, I pray that today you would speak very powerfully through the scriptures to encourage all of us who are here this morning and to help us to deal with this last great enemy of man that we face of death and to hear what you have to say about it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of man's greatest fears is the fear of death. For the Christian who looks at that, I mean, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, it's not so much the fear of what's going to happen after we die, but uh, many people are uh, fearful of how they're going to die. You know, we'd, we'd rather it not be painful. We'd rather it be kind of quick and maybe we could go in our sleep and pass into eternity that way. But for the unbeliever, death is a terrifying prospect, as you saw in those quotes that were on the screen. Aristotle called death the thing to be feared most because it appears to be the end of everything. John Paul Sartre asserted that death removes all meaning from life. Robert Ingersoll, one of America's most outspoken agnostics, could offer no words of hope at his brother's funeral. He thought death is the end of everything. And there are many people in our world who feel just like that, who do not believe in God, do not believe in an afterlife, and think that when we die, we simply cease to exist. But that is not what the Scripture says. The Bible would say that Aristotle was wrong, that death is not to be feared, and that Sartre was mistaken, that our last moment on earth is not our worst if we know Jesus Christ. And we can live without fear. This morning I want to share with you a number of Scripture passages that we're going to look at. It's kind of a compilation of things that I uh, sometimes share and messages I, I give at a funeral service. Uh, there are a number of scriptures that speak to this topic, and so we're going to pull those together along with some of the stories and illustrations that I think help us to understand this. And my hope with you in sharing all of this is really that these verses of Scripture will encourage your heart, strengthen your faith, and that it will change not only the way that we face death, but it will also change the way that we live. May it change the way we live and the way we die. So let's take a look at some of these passages. Number one, the Bible tells us that we have a home in heaven, and we see that in John 14, 1-6. In this passage, Jesus said this. He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? 
And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now this passage of Scripture is probably one of the most familiar to people. It's a passage that is read at just about every funeral, every message that's given. You touch on this passage because of the great hope and assurance it gives to us. The time had come for Jesus to leave his disciples. And they were in the upper room and he told them that he was going to be leaving them. And they were troubled by that. Again, that's not what they had thought was going to happen. They had thought Jesus is going to establish his kingdom on earth. This is the time when God's going to work and we're going to share in that. But what's interesting to me is that here it is, it's Jesus who is about to die. It's not the disciples that are about to die. And yet Jesus is speaking words of comfort to them to encourage their hearts about what is going to happen, where He is going, and what's going to take place in the future when they die. And so He says to them and to us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in Me. Trust Me. And in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You know, that's a remarkable statement to me. When I think about Jesus saying that He is going to prepare a place specifically for you and me. And I I think about that, and I share that, you know, at a, a memorial service, for example, when I say, you know, if you have a guest that's going to be coming to your home to stay, what do you do? Well, you you get the room ready, you know. You have a guest that's coming, you want it to be nice, you know, you change the sheets, you, uh, you know, make sure it's all clean and neat and everything's ready for your guest. Maybe you put flowers in the room or something nice as a touch that would be meaningful to them because you are preparing a place. If it's a young family and they're going to have a baby and they're bringing, uh, they want to get that room ready for the baby, you know, they put in furniture that's appropriate. You know, they got the crib there, the changing table, the toys, they decorate and paint it and all of that. And they take great care and thought to prepare that room for that newborn baby that's going to be coming home. And here Jesus is saying, I am going to prepare a place for you. And we understand that. We understand what it is to have a home and to get a a room ready for someone who is a guest. But here's the King of Kings saying that I am doing that for you. And when I think of that, I think of Jesus who knows you better than anyone else is preparing a place for you. And in that place you will feel more at home than you have ever felt. You will feel at home. When Jesus said that I will come back and take you to be with me, what's interesting about this is that he was using the language of a betrothal. This is the kind of language that you would use when you were getting engaged to a young woman. When a Jewish man and a woman were betrothed, the husband would, uh, you know, stand in the doorway and he, after they had kind of made this covenant of love and they had, uh, he had given his proposal, he would stand in the doorway and he would say that I'm going to my father's home and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make a room. And he would go back to his father's house and he would add on a room there around the courtyard of where his father lived. And when it was ready, And when his father had given the approval that the room was ready, then this young man would return for his bride and take her to be with him and they would consummate the marriage. 
And so here Jesus is using this language of a wedding. I mean, He's talking about death, but He is using language that was familiar to them of a groom coming for His bride. It kind of changes the way we think about death as a believer, doesn't it? I mean, that this is to be a a celebration. And we see that when we have a memorial service for someone who has known the Lord and who has lived their life for Him and they go home and there are testimonies shared of how this person touched someone else's life or how meaningful it was and, and how God used them in different ways. And we celebrate the fact that they are now with the Lord. They have gone to their reward. The Bible tells us that when we die, we go immediately and consciously into the presence of the Lord. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And that's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, if he's going to continue in this life, he's going to walk with Christ. That's, that's our aim. Our desire is to live and walk with Christ and fellowship with Him each and every day. Here I am, Lord. Use me today. And when we come to die, we know that that is gain. Paul would say in Philippians that it is better by far for me to go and to be with Christ. But at that stage in his life, although he was torn between the two, he was convinced that God wanted him to remain on this earth to continue to minister to the churches that he served. But Paul was looking forward to being with Christ. And he knew the joy that awaited him there. Secondly, the Scripture tells us that we will receive a new glorified body one day. And that our new body will be just like Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul said, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. We are going to be changed. And this present earthly body is going to become like Christ's glorious body. Paul describes our present body as a tent in 2 Corinthians 5, 1-4. Peter also talks about our body as a tent in Second Peter. And I think those guys understood it. Paul was a tent maker all of his life. He worked with tents. He understood the challenge of tents, that tents get used and they wear out. They get torn. Uh, you know, they get stained. They get ripped. They get abused. You know, and I, I know what that's like. I mean, our family, when we would go camping, we had the same tent for about 20 years. And uh, it'd get thrown in the car, you know, and packed up and brought out. And then we would set it up, you know, at the campsite. And uh, through the years, it had a few tears and patches on it. It had stains on it. It was getting old. And I think what finally finished it off was when Matt, our oldest son, uh, wanted to use it at Chaminah when they would take groups rock climbing. And uh, they would take them out to some of the state parks, like Blue Mountain State Park, and they'd do the rock climbing. And it went through some storms. But it served us well. You know, in our time as a family, we had great memories and it sheltered us through the storms or rain or things that took place and we had a lot of fun. But the time came when that tent needed to be laid aside and we purchased a new one. 
Well, this present earthly body is like a tent. It is subject to disease and decay. It gets tired and fatigued. It is wearing out. It needs proper care of diet and exercise or it will wear out even faster. You know, and we all know what that's like as we work to try to be good stewards of our body. But the Scripture tells us that God is preparing for us a body that is permanent and eternal. It is immortal. It will never wear out. It will never suffer from illness or disease. And most of all, it will be holy, free from sin, perfect and whole. In 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 54, the Scripture says this, that I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. All of that is possible because of Christ's resurrection. Because he died and rose again, so too we who believe in him will also die and rise again. And if we have that great privilege of being alive at the time when Jesus returns from heaven, some will never taste death in the way that most do, but will be changed again in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? You know, when I think about us receiving a new glorified body, I think about that every time when I visit someone who is nearing death. And we see what it's like when our physical body is wasting away and changed. And a person doesn't have that health and vitality that they once had. They've lost weight, they don't feel like eating, they've grown tired and weary, and the time has come when they are going to pass from this life to the next. And I think of that future day when that health and vitality is restored and made new, but not like this earthly body. It will be immortal and imperishable. And I think of it too when I think of people who have lived all their life with disabilities, chronic diseases, blindness, death, the loss of a limb, And I think of them being made whole and being able to run and to enjoy life and to be free of those disabilities that have hindered them at times in this life. God is going to make all things new. Thirdly, the Scripture tells us that we will be reunited with those that we love. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, Paul says, For what is our hope? Our joy, our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now Paul is talking about the church. He's writing to the church in Thessaloniki and he is saying that, you know, 
when he thinks of them, I mean, he is so looking forward to heaven when he will see them once again. As Paul traveled on his missionary journeys, he tried to get back to churches that he had started. He wanted to get back to them and encourage them. Sometimes he couldn't be there physically, so he would send a representative. Sometimes he wrote letters because he was unable to be with them. And here he is talking about the joy that he would have in the presence of the Lord when he sees his brothers and sisters in Christ again. Do you feel that way? You know, I think about that and I look forward to the day when we will be reunited in heaven as a church. And I think of those who have been a part of our congregation through the years and who have moved or gone to other areas and we miss them. I think about friends that we had when Gail and I were on staff with Campus Crusade and great friends or friends from college that we uh, have known through the years but can't see as often as we would like. And to be reunited in heaven with those that we love is going to be a tremendous joy. Not only that, we will be reunited with family members who have died in the Lord. Many of you have read the book, uh, Heaven is for Real, that was written by a pastor, Todd Burpo. It's a story of his son, Colton, who had uh, an experience where he was going through life-saving surgery in the hospital, and he uh, just about died in that experience. And he, uh, his son uh, tells some of the things that he saw while he was going through that surgery, his description of heaven, his description of the people that he met, and seeing Jesus and all of that. And it's a fascinating story. As we read something like that, though, we always have to have a caution to say we place our confidence, though, in the Scripture and what the Scripture says, not in anecdotes or stories. Stories can be an encouragement to us, just like stories we hear of of missionaries or stories we hear of answers to prayer are an encouragement to pray more. I think that stories like that can be an encouragement, and just like the title of that book, can help us to understand that heaven is for real and we will see people that we love who have died in the Lord. And he tells a story in that book of his son Colton meeting his grandfather. And his grandfather had died before Colton was born. In fact, his grandfather had died when Todd was just a young boy. And so they had never met. And yet he began to talk about him and what he saw and uh, described him and what he was seeing there. And Todd was just kind of shaken by that. He was amazed by that. And so he showed his son Colton a picture of his grandfather when he was 61, shortly before he had died. And Colton was like, that's not him. <laughs> that That's not what he looked like. And it wasn't until later that... Uh, from the grandmother, they had gotten a picture of his grandfather at a young age that Colton saw that, looked at that, and said, where'd you get a picture of Pop? You know, that's the way that he saw him as a young man. What age will we be in heaven? The Bible doesn't say, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if we, are, if we look like or what we did in the prime of life. We do know that we will be recognizable that we will recognize and know one another. There's a continuity between this life and the next. There's a continuity between that seed that is sown in the ground and the plant that grows from it. 
And there's a continuity in this body that is laid aside and that new glorious body that we will receive. It's why the disciples recognized Jesus when he met with them in the upper room. And yet that new glorious body is different. Different from this present earthly one. So when you think about heaven and being reunited with those that you know and love and who have died in the Lord, who are you looking forward to seeing? You know, I think about my parents. I think about seeing my dad and my mom one day or my grandparents. And I wonder about that. You know, what will they look like? I know I'll recognize them, but will I see my dad as a young man? Will I see my mom as a young woman? And, uh, you know, that's just one of those things that we don't know all of those details. But I look forward to that day. And I look forward to seeing those who have mentored me and discipled me along the way. And I look forward to seeing those that I have had the opportunity to work with too. What a great promise for those who have placed their hope in Christ. And fourthly, and uh, most importantly out of all of these things, the Bible tells us that we will be with the Lord forever. We will be with Him forever. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, the Scripture says this. Go ahead, you can put that up. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now again, the scripture makes some very important points in that passage. When it says, we don't want you to be ignorant about what's going to happen in the future. We want you to know and have confidence in what God has promised. We want you to also understand that we do not grieve like those who have no hope. When we as believers come to faith, death, it is not the same as those who think that life is the end of everything. We understand that death is really the beginning of a new life with Christ that we will go to be with Him and all of these other things that are going to happen in the future that God has prepared for us. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, the Scripture says that no eye has seen or no ear has heard or no mind has conceived all that God has prepared for those who love Him. God has revealed to us a part of that in the Scripture, but we don't know all the details. But what we do know sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And the promises that God has made should change the way that we live and change the way that we die. We do not grieve like those who don't know Christ and have no hope. The clearest story I have ever heard on that is a story I have shared with you before about Robert Ingersoll and D.L. Moody. 
Robert Ingersoll was an atheist, an outspoken critic of the Bible. He tried to put down Christianity. He tried to discourage people from believing in Christ. And then you had D.L. Moody, the evangelist, the preacher of the gospel. On both sides of the Atlantic, he had significant ministries as he shared the good news of the gospel and called people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And these two famous men both died in the same year in 1899. And here was how it was described. For Robert Ingersoll, when he died, his death came suddenly, and it was a complete shock to his family. The body was kept in the home for several days because his wife could not bear to part with it. And it was finally removed only because the corpse was decaying and the health of the family required it. His remains were cremated, and the display at the crematorium was so dismal that some of the scene was picked up by the newspapers and reported to the nation at large. Ingersoll had used his great intellect to deny the resurrection. And when death came, there was no hope, and his departure was received by his friends and family as a complete tragedy. But in the same year, the evangelist D.L. Moody died. His death was triumphant for himself and his family. Moody had been declining for some time. His family had taken turns being with him. And on the morning of his death, his son, who was standing by his bed, heard him exclaim that earth is receding and heaven is opening and God is calling. And his son said to him, You are dreaming, Father. And Moody answered, No, Will, this is no dream. I have been within the gates, and I have seen the children's faces. Shortly before Moody's death, one of his grandsons, who I think was just four years old, had died. And Moody had taken that very hard. And here he is, he is describing the scene of heaven opening, and he is seeing his grandson, he's seeing the children's faces. And for a while it seemed as if Moody was reviving, but he began to slip away again. And he said, is this death? This is not bad. There is no valley. This is bliss. This is glorious. And by the time his daughter was present, she began to pray for his recovery. And he said to her, no, no, Emma, don't pray for that. For God is calling and this is my coronation day. And I have been looking forward to it. And shortly after that, Moody was received into heaven. At the funeral, the family and friends had a joyful service. They sang hymns, they read the scripture like we have read today, and they rejoiced in Moody's life and how God had used him so significantly. And they praised God for the hope that we have in Christ. They read the scripture, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is in the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Moody's death was part of that victory. Isn't that powerful? I mean, isn't that what we all would like to have? That time when we go be that kind of celebration, that triumph, to share in what Jesus Christ has done for us. I love what D.L. Moody wrote uh, when he was living. He wanted this included in the biography of his life. He said, One day they're going to tell you that D.L. Moody is dead, but don't you believe it, for I am more alive now than I have ever been. 
What confidence. What hope. What a truth. The Bible goes on to tell us that not only will we be with the Lord forever, but that day is coming when He's going to make all things new and heaven and earth will become one. And we will live on a renewed earth. This present heavens, this present earth is going to be purified by fire and made new. Revelation 21, 1-5 talks about that, how God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and there's going to be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more death. The old order of things have passed away. And He says to us, you can write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It is paradise restored. The age-old promise of God dwelling with us and we being His people is going to be fulfilled and He will dwell with us even as He did with Adam and Eve. In 2 Peter 3.13, the Scripture says, but in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. What a great hope we have. When I look at these promises... We have a home in heaven. We have a promise that we will receive a new glorified body. We're going to be reunited with those who we love, who have died in the Lord. And we will be with the Lord forever. The only question left is how do we get there? And Jesus Himself answered that when He said that He is the way. That I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for these powerful and precious promises of Your Word. And I know we've gone through them kind of quickly today, but I pray that they would sink deep into our hearts and that we would revisit them time and time again. That we would be a people who do not fear death and what comes on the other side but that we would live in light of the confidence of Your Word and the promises that You have made. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here who is uncertain about their relationship today, that they would turn and put their faith faith in You and in Your Son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior and Lord. We ask it in His name. Amen.